Good Monday morning. I'm your host, Patrick Cooley, pastor of Vernon First United Methodist Church, and you are listening to First Today. God is starting something new in you. First day. I'm your host, Patrick Cooley, pastor of Vernon First United Methodist Church. I'd like us to pick up where we left off last week, but before we do, I want to let you know that our website, firstday.us, is up and running, save for the podcast page, which will hopefully be operational by the end of the weekend. But even right now, you can read the text of this week's episode on our homepage and that of previous episodes in our archive called The Storehouse. You can read along with our blog, The Journey. You can take a deeper look at one of our key readings from the last week's program. In this case, it's Luke chapter 5, 33-39, and answer the questions. You can connect with us and make prayer requests with the provided contact form. You can even make Facebook comments, though uh, the Facebook page isn't quite formatted yet, and it will. It'll come. Give it a few days. And who knows, maybe in the future we'll even have a Tweety or two. I may be competent in my knowledge of Jesus, but all the things tech and web and social media these three, are still enigmas to me. But they are here to stay, just like faith, hope, and love. So that's www.firstday.us. In last week's episode, we discovered that it is God's desire that we live our lives to the fullest of what He intended. That we live in ever-increasing joy and blessedness as we seek to make our lives closer and closer to His. We do this, if you recall, by living into the life of a disciple, by following the life of Jesus Christ, who is the way to this joyfulness. And as we grow closer to doing the things that Jesus would do, we get to see our worlds change. We get to see ourselves changed. We Methodists call this sanctification, Becoming like Jesus. We become like Him as we start to do what God wants us to do. 
And when we start living in the way that our Father desires and expects us to live, He also expects for us to receive joy and blessing. One of the great stumbling blocks to people becoming Christians or growing in their discipleship and faith is the notion that God wants His children to be miserable. That, you see, is the lie that we get told by you-know-who. And I don't mean Voldemort. That God wants us to stop being happy. The lie is that God is going to take something we love away and leave an empty space in its place. When God really wants more than anything else is to share with us the fullness of his joy and glory and love. But as we've learned in the news cycles recently, it is easier, it seems, to believe a lie than to choose to believe in the truth. So let me ask you a question. When you look into the mirror, who do you see? Who would God have you to see? If we are made new in Jesus, why is it that so many times we find that we are stuck in the same old rut into doing and saying and into reacting to others in the same way that we always have? Have you ever woken up in the afternoon after one of your long nights, and you know what I mean, and suddenly felt ashamed for the way that you behaved the night before? Or how about after calming down following an argument with your spouse, or your partner, a friend or family member? You realized how nasty and hurtful you were to that person who loves you. Or how about the first doubt that arises in your conscience when you think about how you cheated in that business deal or to get a leg up on the competition at school or when you conned some sucker out of their money or the panic that arises when you realize that someone might learn what's on your computer if you were to die suddenly in an accident. Now, I'm pretty confident that we have all, at one time or another, looked back in regret for a past action. That twinge we call conviction. Now, in Methodist parlance, it is the proof that God is moving in a person's life. We call it prevenient grace. It is God calling to his child. God's wooing us toward that first step into the new life that we can have in Jesus. It is God working on us even before we are in relationship with him. In Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, it is that moment when the son's pride is overcome and he decides to take the first step back towards home. This is God wanting us to seek to see someone new in the mirror. But as it turns out in life and in your experience, how often do your tomorrows end up looking different than they do today? How often do your tomorrows actually end up looking pretty much like your todays and your yesterdays? 
How many times has conviction, which is God intending to encourage us to desire to change, simply become stagnating guilt and self-doubt? Now, there are holier-than-thou types who were fond of saying that, well, those people don't change because they don't really want to. But I think that attitude ignores the truth. If the convicted didn't have any desire to break with the old, if they thought that their lives were hunky-dory, then why the question? Why that moment of doubt about their choices and their actions? Paul writes to Rome in chapter 8, For creation awaits with eager expectation the revealing of the children of God. For creation was made subject to futility, not of its own accord, but because of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption and share in the glorious freedom of the children of God. Now, I might be mistaken here, but as far as I know, all people, we, are a part of creation. All of us are. The convicted, the righteous, the strong, and the weak. We are all part of that which groans for a new life, longing to break free from the futility of our destructive, fruitless habits. And Paul doesn't just stop there. Oh, no. He goes on in verses 26 and 27 to say, The Spirit, too, comes to the aid of our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And the one who searches hearts knows what is the intention of the Spirit, because it intercedes for the holy ones according to God's will. So the Spirit is alive and the Spirit is moving and the Spirit is guiding each and every one of us back home. That's what God does because God from the very beginning wants only one thing for the world, that all of the families on it might be blessed, so that all of the people of the world, all of the members of creation, and even creation itself, might have a chance to experience his glory and his life and his hope and his love. So to put this another way, the conviction that we feel, those moments of self doubt about an action or about a way of living. Those things are the Spirit coming to our aid because God knows that we don't have the ability to reach up to Him on our own. If we had the ability to do that, Jesus would have been, never been necessary in the first place. And so the Spirit comes to us and intercedes with us and moves us and brings about in us these moments where we have the opportunity to look to God and say, change me. Help me to take the new step into that new creation. 
to shake off all of those things that I've been doing, all of those nights that I wake up the next morning ashamed of what I have done before, and all of those things that we mentioned earlier. Whatever your own bad habit may be, whatever that own whatever your own thing may be that keeps you from living fully and completely in the love and the life of Jesus Christ. God already knows it. And God already wants you to say to him, help me to take that first step. The Spirit is the proof. The conviction lets us know and lets you know that God has not forgotten you and that God still cares and loves and wants nothing more than to be with you for all eternity. Now, we see this carrying out and working out in Jesus' life on that night before he was arrested. Actually, on the night that he was arrested. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has his disciples, three of them, uh, Peter, James, and John, go with him as he goes to pray. And so after the Last Supper, Jesus goes to the garden, and we're told that then Jesus came with them, Peter, James, and John, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to feel sorrow and distress. And then he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He advanced a little and fell prostrate in prayer, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And when he returned to his disciples, he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, So you could not keep watch with me for one hour. Watch and pray that you may not undergo the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here in this moment, we begin to see what is lying at the heart of all of those moments of conviction and, and why they so rarely move on to any measurable change in our lives why they typically end up becoming guilt and pure on self-doubt. Because as the guilt and the self-doubt take place, we begin to say to ourselves, well, I can't change, so I might as well just keep doing what it is that I've already and always done. Jesus says to Peter, who had been with him for his entire ministry. Jesus says to Peter, this man that, he, that had seen him walk on water, that had seen him bring people back from the dead. Jesus says to Peter, even though you have seen all of these things and know the truth of who I am, your spirit is willing to do what it is that I want you to do. Your spirit is willing to live the life that God wants you to live, to be the kind of person that God wants you to be. I'm, I'm you know, paraphrasing here. Your spirit wants these things. Your spirit craves them. But your flesh 
is weak. We will always tend to default if we are doing this on our own. We will always tend to default to that habit. We will always tend to default to being reactionary to something that happens to us and to people that say things that get under our skins. Tit for tat, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You hit me, you hit me on the left, I hit you on the right. You hit me hard, I hit you even harder. It's what we as people do. But it's not what God would have us do. And it's not the way that we were actually created to do in the first place. To respond and to live and to be the life of Jesus in the world is a very incredible thing. And our spirit, which comes from God, is constantly yearning and calling us to remember who we are, who we have been created to be, what we have been created to be. But our flesh gets weak and we get distracted because it's difficult and it's hard. And on top of that, you know who is whispering in our ear, telling us that God doesn't want you to be happy and God wants you to give up everything that you've ever loved and everything that you ever wanted and everything that ever made you feel good and he's not going to give you anything else in return. And nine times out of ten, people tend to listen. We tend to listen. And at the end of the day, we don't experience transformation we don't experience renewal we don't experience hope and joy sure we can be happy i tell my congregation all the time when i eat a chocolate turtle i'm happy and when the box is empty i'm unhappy god you see wants us to experience something that goes beyond happiness And that is living the joyful life of Jesus Christ, bringing hope and grace and love and peace. And we do that by doing what he commands and asks us to do. Peter and James and John were commanded by Christ, asked by Christ to just stay awake for an hour and pray. But they couldn't do it. Their spirit may well have been willing. It was willing. Jesus says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So if we're going to move past our hurts and if we're going to move past our hang-ups and that oppressive guilt that keeps us from living and fully in the life of Jesus Christ, then we've got to remember that just like it has taken time for us to get us into the pickle that we're in, It's going to take time for us to get out of this situation. It's going to take time for us to become sanctified. It's not an instantaneous process. It's not an immediate change. Transformation starts one day and moves on to the next and moves on to the next It's what we talked about last week. It's the journey. It's the process of sanctification. It's one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you.
one day at a time, allowing Jesus to show us the way, allowing the Spirit to guide us, and answering that conviction when it calls upon us to look at ourselves and realize the things that we are doing that keep us from being God's presence in the world and that keep us from experiencing all that we truly can get out of life. Again, Peter had seen amazing things. Peter had seen Jesus do the absolute most awesomeness things. Yes, I said most awesomeness. I know, I know. No English comments, please. Yet, when the rubber meets the road on that last night, he couldn't get past that habit. He couldn't get, he couldn't get past himself. But we can. And fortunately, Peter, in his second letter, comes to understand, apparently, that we can get past our old selves. We can get past our hurts and our hang-ups. We can move past self-doubt. We can move past debilitating guilt, the weakness in our flesh, the thorn in our side that Satan puts there that tries to tell us you're not good enough and you're never going to make it, so you might as well not even try. Peter tells us that God has bestowed upon us the precious and very great promises so that through them you may come to share in the divine nature. That means be sanctified. And after escaping from the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with devotion and devotion with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. We'll have, the, we'll have that up on the website, all right? So there's this process here. There's this process of adding to our faith. We simply can't say, I believe. James tells us that even the demons believe. We can't simply say, I believe, and then continue to live our lives the way that they were before we came to that belief. So Peter says, if we want to be able to look into the mirror and to see a changed person looking back at us, or to put it the way Paul does in 2 Corinthians, if we want to look in the mirror and see Jesus brightly, and shining. If we want to look in the mirror and see Jesus staring back at us, meaning the Christ in us shining forth and reflecting back to us, then we've got to make every effort to add to the statement of faith that we may make that says we believe that Jesus has taken away the sins of the world. And we do that, and we supplement that faith and that belief with virtue the, the, and knowledge and knowledge and self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with devotion and devotion with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. And he says that if these things are yours and increase in abundance, they will keep you from being idle or unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who lacks them is blind and short-sighted and forgetful of the cleansing of his past sins. Conviction, that movement of the Spirit that groans on our behalf because we don't know how to even ask God to lift the burden from us. The conviction that we feel from the presence of the Holy Spirit is there in order to prompt us to take the next step in our faith. That next step into the living the virtuous life of Jesus, showing faith and hope and love. And on the website, we'll go into a little bit more about virtue and about knowledge and about self-control and endurance and devotion and how these things build up one upon the next upon the next. But what I hope you take from this today is that over the course of this week, you may be tempted to react to other people and to situations or to behave in ways that you always have. Ways that you might think you have always done, and so you guess you'll just be stuck with always doing them the same way, always reacting to people in the same way, always saying the same thing in arguments, etc., etc., etc. But you don't have to. You can make the choice to listen to the Spirit's prompting. Because I guarantee you that conviction will be there. And that conviction is not guilt, and that conviction is not self-doubt. That conviction is the Holy Spirit calling you home. That conviction is the Holy Spirit calling you back to the life that you have in God through Jesus Christ. That conviction is what turned the prodigal from the pig pen where he found himself, in filth and in hunger, to turn and head back home only to find a father who was willing to run out to meet him and reclothe him and welcome him back into life with open arms. I urge you to listen to the promptings of the Spirit and not the whispers of you-know-who. Listen to the promptings of the Spirit that says that God is with you and wants you to experience the promises in full this week and every week that follows. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, so often in our lives we become distracted by the things that we have always done. We have come to rely upon our reactions and our strengths. But instead, Almighty God, help us to become to rely upon you and your spirit and your power. Help us seek to be renewed. Help us seek, Almighty God, to treat others in the way that Christ would have us to treat them. And help us, Almighty God, more than anything else, choose to do what Jesus would do with every moment of our lives so that we can live in full joy and blessedness. Amen. You have been listening to First Day. Join us here next Monday at 7.30 a.m. on 100.7 WVSA or at our website, 
firstday.us, where you can connect with us and listen to current and previous episodes of the program. That's www.firstday.us. If you have no church family, I encourage you to seek out others with whom you can start this journey into the life that God wants you to have in Jesus Christ. It's always easier to take that first step with others. So until next time, this is Patrick Cooley, pastor of Vernon First United Methodist Church, reminding you that God is starting something new in you.